can I ask you a question, Paulie, before we get right into this? You, I mean, you, oh. you well, Benny as well, you guys have been to a, a ton of concerts. Yep. Do you like it when an artist in the middle of a concert bangs out a cover tune, or do you like it when they stick oh, to yeah. their own catalog? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, let's save all this for the recording here. Cool. I've yeah. had a, a great tragically hip story. Give her. Cool. Um, where I'll, I'll just simply pre, so the preamble is that the, I can't remember what the tour was, but the hip with every, at the end of every show would come out and do an encore and they would do a cover appropriate for that city. So oh, every cool. night was different. And I saw the one in Hamilton and I was probably the only guy in the audience that got why they did this particular song. Very cool. <laughs> so I, I will save that one. Okay. And I cool. just, when they started playing, I just stood up and I just started cheering and everybody's looking and saying, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? <laughs> I was at... Um, he must I, be on some of Chris Brown's pot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was at a Lumineers concert and oh, nice. they they did uh, they were a phenomenal yeah, live bad. show it, it was it was like almost cut for cut for the record which yep. you know sometimes that like when, when you're when you're seeing a folk band you you kind of hope they veer a little bit off of the the record cut you like you want it to be a little bit raw, more raw than but it was good it was good but anyways they did a cover of uh subterranean homesick uh blues and and everyone in the crowd was 14 so nobody knew what the song was <laughs> and, and, that's kind of, and that's kind of what i think the hip thing was all about i think it got lost i said oh, i don't know this song right yeah okay let's go Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVie, Mark LeFave, and Chris Brown. Join the conversation at BSR Podcast on Facebook and at Radio underscore Sheep on Instagram and Twitter. So first things first, we have to know on Black Sheep Radio, being a Friday, Paulie's with us. Uh, what's, power, what's power on the laptop today, bunny? Oh, <laughs> do, um, do, we, do we have a new variety of frozen veg? No, I've actually, uh, I'm using these uh, little frozen... Um, you know, um, ice cubes, you know, that you throw in your drinks. These ones are in the shape of little Christmas trees and snowmen (laughs) and stars and cubes. Uh I think those are edibles. If I ate these, I'd be dead. So uh, they don't leave. A, they don't leave a residue. So it's good. Uh, that's a sign of a good edible. Uh, no residue. We always talk music with uh, Polly on on Fridays, and this this is a good one. Uh, the best cover songs of all mm. time. Covers are weird because you, you can hear some, and and it's like it's a direct sort of re-recording of of the original song and then others where you it, it takes you a few minutes so you hear the words yeah. and go geez i know this song yep. oh my god it's such and such and i love that such, a, such love a different interpretation there is a we all know there's an alternate universe a parallel universe to where we are and on the radio are the millions and millions of cover versions <laughs> i i sat for two or three days and listened to nothing but covers and could listen to infinity yep and some are great and some are not but the fact that there is such there are so many covers it's unbelievable and i say in an alternate universe yeah they're playing all these songs somewhere so indeed so uh, let's fire right into it because i think we've all got a we've all got a bunch i I actually do want to start i hate to take a sidestep here but i do want to start with the rock news of the day yeah please sorry sorry about that um my bad two stories to begin one really short one 
get a little something to it. Okay. Uh, Beavis and Butthead are returning. Comedy Central are bringing back <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Except this time, Beavis and Butthead <laughs> are parents. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> wait, 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 Butthead. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead as parents. As parents. Amazing. And uh, it's going to be on Comedy Central, so you'll all be able to see it. And there's no timeline when this is going to take place. Um, is it my judge's? My judge is doing yeah. the whole thing, and this will be the second reboot of it um and it's gonna run for two seasons um my question is I, I can hardly wait to meet these kids if they're anything like their parents are they still wearing the metallica in acdc t-shirts right <laughs> uh my favorite part of viva's a butthead was was actually up sitting on the couch riffing on pop culture mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and, and i hope they bring that back because that was always the best part of it yeah. Uh, the next one is, I'm not sure you've heard of this guy, Ennio Morricone. Mm-hmm. Ennio Morricone is a famous composer. He's born in Italy, did over 100 classical com- uh, com- compositions and 400 movies, four, over 400 movie scores. All right, okay. you may not know the name, but think of John Williams and think of Hans Zimmer and yeah. think of Danny Elfman. He's one of those. He did scores for. Again, over 400 movies, including uh, The Hateful Eight, The Untouchables, and most notably, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You know Iconic. That? Yeah. yeah. That thing. Perhaps the most famous composition in there is a song called The Ecstasy of Gold. And if you don't know what that is, Metallica. Metallica, when you go to see their concerts, when the lights go down... All of a sudden, this song starts to play, and the crowd gets all prepped, uh, gets all ramped up. The band takes the stage; they start to tune up, and this song plays. It's the Ecstasy of Gold by uh, Ennio Ennio Morricone. They've been playing this as their intro music since 1984. Get wow. out of here! Really, very interesting. It has yeah, been is. it has been as much part of the Metallica concert experience as playing one or master really? or enter sandman in fact they've been playing this song longer than most of those songs yeah before every single metallica concert that's Amazing. wild oh, in more recent years in more recent years what they've been doing is that uh, through the pa system they've been playing it's a long a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll by acdc and when that comes on i kind of go oh we're close it's, it's time, time. To take- it's time to take your seat. So they'll play oh, the AC/DC cool. track. Yeah. They'll play the ACDC track. The lights are still on. And then the lights go down. And the Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone will play. And the band take the stage. That's and then, awesome. And then away they go. Another day I'm going to tell you the story about how they do their set list in Metallica. It is fantastic. Every show is different. So you never know how they're going to start. You kind of know how they're going to finish, and there is a whole science to that. So, uh, I have yet to see them. Oh boy! I, I know, <laughs> I know. It's one of those bands where it's, I, I even say to myself, "What the fuck do you mean you haven't seen them?" You know what I mean? As, but I've, I've never as, seen Metallica. As over Metallica as you probably are, because they kind of took up a lot of space over the years. Seeing them live is a completely different thing. And the first time I saw them was way, way, way back, just after Cliff Burton died on the Injustice for All tour when they opening wow. they were opening up for Van Halen. And it was one of those things I just they were playing Seek and Destroy and I kinda looked around and went, 
what the fuck is going on? Mm. Oh my God. I had never seen something so tribal. And that's when I really fell in love with them. Oh. But let's do cover versions. Let's go. Covers. Okay. Who's starting? Awesome. <clears throat> Um, Who's starting? I, 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 can fi- I can fire off my Go, first buddy. one. So, Give her. So um, I think with this one, you know, like, like a lot of the times with, with, with some of the ways we structure these shows, we pick like four or five. I think we're going to do a little bit more of a free form and just kind of, you know, go through the list. Because the, uh, the longer I spent doing this, the longer my list grew. It was just like literally yeah. as long. The more time I spent doing it, the more time. And it's hard to it's really hard to eliminate some of this stuff. Um, I don't know if, if, if any of you guys have have these this one on your list. Um, but I think, you know, I think Guns N' Roses does a lot of really good things with covers. It's really funny because Guns N' Roses has such a distinct sound. Uh, personally, like I, I like, I like covers that are reinterpreted versions of the original. So like not just a straight cut like that. I think there's per just, it's, it's all personal choice. Like sometimes just having somebody's having a new singer on the song is, is enough to put it over the top. But for me, like I like to see like a complete reinterpretation of the song. Um, and and you know, like I said, Guns N' Roses has done a couple covers. Um, I my personal favorite as a big Bob Dylan fan is is um, Knocking on Heaven's Door. It's yeah. just like a you know, Bob Bob Dylan's version of the song is very, um, it's it's very it's very kind of dark and brooding as as much as a as a as a as a folk song really can be. Um, but, but Guns N' Roses just kind of smashes it, uh, it into a million pieces and, and makes it huge. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's just something about throwing Axel and Slash and that, that whole band over top of a folk song. Um, and, and, and it's just, they just do, they just do such great things with it. It's, I, it's, yeah, I, I, that's that's what I really love about the way Guns N' Roses approaches covers. Obviously, they they did Live and Let Die as well, and and the original Live and Let oh, Die yeah. was was a was a was a big song in and of itself, and and they still managed to make it bigger somehow. Um, but but yeah, I, I like but but I I'm picking the Knocking on Heaven's Door because of the contrast between the two songs. Yeah, no um, kidding, is insane. The contrast insane. between Axl Rose and Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and it doesn't lose. It doesn't lose. Like it doesn't lose the initial theme right yeah. like it, it's it you it feel it's the same energy of the of the original but it's just re- reinterpreted in in a different way that yeah it's it's a really cool track and like I, you know i'm i love bob dylan and and, and i mean i'm sure there's going to be a lot of bob dylan covers on here most of the time i choose the bob dylan version but in this one particular mm. like i actually prefer the guns and roses version which is yep. crazy that would be on my better than me. the original list for sure yeah yeah great one uh, I'll kick off my list with uh, I'll, with this one. Didn't know they were covers. I didn't know the song "Tainted Love" was a cover. Soft yeah. Cell's "Tainted Love." Soft Cell, um, yeah. Uh, Gloria Jones doing the original. Now I uh, I listened to both of them. I do like Soft Cell's version of that song and their take on that song better. It just has a I don't know. Maybe it's just more eighties and I and I like some eighties tunes. So uh, that that's that's my first in terms of songs that I did not know were covers and I'll throw this one in as well that I did not know was a cover is uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi yeah. Lauper I did not know that that was a cover of a Robert Hazard song and when a guy sings Girls Just Want to Have Fun 
it's it's not as much fun as when a girl sings girls just <laughs> fun. So it's a little uh, creepy. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it borders on creepy. And then my last one for didn't know they were covers. Uh, I love this guy. Uh, I got my mindset on you by George Harrison. I did not know it was a cover of a James Ray tune. So uh, what? That, that wraps up my didn't what? know they were covers. Yeah, yeah. I thought I did not know that. I thought I've got no my mindset on you was uh, was George, but no, it was previously done well. James Ray. So. Marilyn Manson did a really good cover of Tainted Love too. Yeah, you know, yeah, yes, it was yeah. like I liked yeah. his uh, Sweet Dreams too. Sweet it. Dreams yes. is yeah. pretty strong. Absolutely. You know, I lo- uh, the thing with Sweet Dreams is I love both versions of it. Uh, when Annie Lennox sings it with Eurythmics, it it has a it, there's a dark side to it, even yep. though it's got this really great sing along chorus. You know, yep. But when Manson Manson Puts oh. it under, but it just takes oh. berries that he puts it under. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's funny. Everything he does, I'm always interested. And his more recent recordings have been really good. You know, everybody's kind of written him off as like, yeah, he's, you know, he's like Saturday morning cartoons now. Um, he's kind of a creepy kind of guy, but his music still is pretty good. Um, but he did a cover of uh, Highway to Hell, and I was really excited to hear this thing, and it was a piece of shit. Really? <laughs> it's like, what did you, you do? How did like, you what? ruin Highway to Hell, Marilyn Manson? Yeah, That's yeah, your fucking like, song. Because he, t- he, <laughs> you he took away all the classic riffs that went with it, and he just kind of took basically the, the language, and then he just subverted it, and it was just terrible. Just terrible. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna lead mine off with uh, uh, Sweet Jane Cowboy Junkies do a cover. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, on the I think it's on their first album, on the Trinity Junkies. Sessions. Yep. Fuck, I haven't heard and their that cover of of Lou Reed's Sweet Jane is one of the most haunting performances of any song I've ever heard. I absolutely love it. I, there was a period when that first came out where that that song was just on repeat, and I I couldn't stop listening to it. Mm. I'm a big Lou Reed fan, but that cover yeah. uh, uh, that that cover of Sweet Jane is just it's off the hook. It's so damn good. Yeah, cool. I mean, she t- again. That's a song they completely turned inside out. I love right. the original Sweet Jane and Jane. She was a clerk, you know that all that. His phrasing is so fun. It is, and then and then this came out, and I have to admit, when I heard it, I said, I don't know what to make of this. And then it starts to grow on you. And the fact that when Lou Reed heard it, he just was totally loved. The best version ever of the song. He said, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I I just adore that song. So there's my there's my first pick. I'm just gonna go one cool. at a time. I'll, I'll let you guys. You guys. I think probably have more than me, but go ahead. Oh, I got so yeah, many. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, Polly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with a big one here. And this might be, um, this might be one of the most annoying songs in the world right now, but it has <laughs> awesome. And yet it has a fantastic story. And the song is Alleluia written by, oh. written by uh, Leonard Cohen. The reason I say annoying is because, it, it's been overused. I got invited to a wedding and I was asked to sing this song. And they wrote extra verses for the whole thing. And it was okay. Uh, and then my uh, uncle passed away. It was okay. My <laughs> uncle passed away and they sang this song. And I said, are you listening to the lyrics? I know. It's just, it's not appropriate. I mean, it's got, it's got a lot of religion in it. 
but it's not about my has nothing to do with my uncle passing away you know <laughs> you know the story anyway so i'm going to tell you the story about alleluia and how it came because it is a mind-blowing story i was we actually gonna, sorry i was actually wondering if you could sing it for us too i'm not <laughs> yeah. going to do that i will on the show today. <laughs> oh by the way i've been invited to sing it again this fall when my cousin's <laughs> husband is having a celebration of life ceremony and sure enough they're doing it and sure enough they're going to use some of the verses and write new ones for it as well too well here's a song and here's the chorus it's being sung by Polly Morris <laughs> it's a great song I, I love that song it's a beautiful song oh, it yeah. is like it is it is beautiful I can actually I'm play it on the guitar the, ver- the version I'm, I'm talking about is the Jeff Buckley version which is yeah. the definitive one I had a friend of mine who said oh you should hear Katie Lang and then I play and I went yeah I know it's nice but you should hear Jeff Buckley and I played it for him and he kind of went oh yeah yeah it's just it's a like different thing yeah. but the, the song has a long history and if you indulge me here for a little while Cohen spent five years writing this song he was trying Did to really? find out he spent five years writing wow. this song, uh, frustrated in his search for the deeper meaning of the song. At one point, banging his head on the floor to find it, to try to find the song. And he's a songwriter, songwriter, if you ever know it. Uh, depending upon the story, Cohen says he wrote anywhere from 50 to 70 verses of this song. It's what? a painful experience. Yes, yeah. that's very true. Huh. Uh, like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan had anywhere from 10 to 20 pages of lyrics. And yet this is maybe one day I'll give you the story of the songs that are absolutely classic that took forever to write, but they got it in the end. Born mm-hmm. to Run is one of those. Like a Rolling Stone is one of those. And in this case, wow. it's Alleluia by Cohen. Now, Cohen's version came out, an album, came out on an album called Various Positions. He was signed to Columbia Records, and he presented it to them, and they said, what the hell is this? This is crap. So he took the record to an independent label, and they put it out, and it went nowhere. Because Cohen's version of the song is really dark. It's really, oh. really heavy, right? It's almost unlistenable. No wonder yeah. the record label wouldn't do it. So... Uh, one time, Cohen is pervo- performing this song, and in the audience is a guy named John Cale of the Velvet Underground. As Benny knows, also a bandmate with uh, Lou Reed. Yeah. He hears the song. He likes what he hears. And he says, you know what? I'd like to do a version of this song. So he gets in touch with Cohen, and he says, send me the lyrics. And he sends over the pages and pages <laughs> of all these lyrics. So what Cohen does, because there's so many verses, he likes all the ones dealing with religion in the song. So he does his own and he records it for a Leonard Cohen tribute record called I'm Your Fan. Mm -hmm. And it's put out by a small French label. And of course, it goes nowhere because little independent French labels just don't have... They're not, you know, they're not Columbia Records, you know, they're not Universal Records. The story now goes to a woman named Janine. Janine lives in Brooklyn, and she's got a copy of this I'm Your Fan with John Cale's version of Alleluia in her record collection. There's a young uh, aspiring artist. His name is Jeff Buckley, and he likes, not likes, she hires him to house sit for him. One day, he's rifling through her CD collection, and he comes upon this 
I'm your fan Leonard Cohen tribute record, and here's Kale's version. And he says, I kind of like this one. So he takes it and he does his own comp- he does his own composition. So the version you hear of Jeff Beckley of Jeff Buckley is actually John Cale's version of the song. Wow. John Cale is now in the village in New York City. And he's performing the song, and sure enough, there's a record executive who hears him do it, and he says, I like this. So he records his version of the song for his debut album, which is called Grace. Grace goes out, comes out, that <coughs> album, and it goes nowhere. Gets to about 160 on the Billboard Hot, Hot 200 chart. It goes nowhere. Until one day, Jeff Buckley goes out for a swim. And Jeff Buckley goes out for a swim with his clothes on. He swims down the river and he's singing the chorus to Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and he disappears into the night, never comes back. The mystery and the legend of Jeff Buckley comes up and everybody says, well, who is this Jeff Buckley guy with the strange story about him dying? That's a, and they that, I didn't a, know that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and so people say, well, let's check out this record of his. And they discover Alleluia. And the rest is history. I so, wow! <laughs> I did so, not know any of that. So oh my I, God. I, 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 will, I will give full credit to this to Malcolm Gladwell, who put this whole story together with a podcast, Revisionist History, and I highly recommend you watch it. Um, so the set of coincidences is weird. You've got Leonard Cohen writing the song. It goes nowhere, right? And then uh, John Cale of Velvet Underground sees him in a club, likes the song, records it. It goes nowhere. It shows up on a French label. The song is released. It goes nowhere. Janine in Brooklyn buys it. Jeff Buckley hears it from her record collection. He records it. It goes nowhere until he dies. And now everybody sings the song. Wow. It's wow. incredible. Jesus. Now, I do want to, uh, Ben will like this. I'm not sure if Ben knows this. There are so many versions of this song, and they're all really good. But one of my favorite is done by Gord Downey. Now, Benny, are you aware of this one? No. He's, he's kind of looking at me like this. There is a small Canadian movie called St. Ralph. I remember the and, movie. And uh, and St. Ralph is about this kid growing up in high school, and he's a bit of a delinquent. I use that with air asterisks or quotations. And the priest that's there says, you know what? I think you should join the cross-country Team, uh, the cross-country team and maybe this will help get it out for you and this song is used in the closing credits it will shake you when you hear it you that's can find the first it on, thing i'm doing when we're done it's it's on youtube just a gord downey hallelujah and it will shake you when you hear it, it is unbelievable Hallelujah, Jeff Buckley one of the greatest covers ever there you go including gord downey's version i owe you a thanks for that that yeah, yeah I'll very be cool out. I'll be checking so, that out. Isn't that a great story? It is. Yeah, that's awesome. Indeed. Sorry it took so long. But no, I no, needed it because when I heard the story, and, uh, Gladwell tells the story and he tells it for about 20 minutes long. And I'm just going, I just don't believe this. I just mm, don't so, believe this. Wow. Wow. Cool. I love the, I love, I like, I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Leonard Cohen. He's, so am I. Uh, he's very, he's very literary. You know, so yeah. I kind of nerd out when I hear a lot of his stuff. I'm not the biggest fan of his music, to be perfectly honest. Like it's very, I, I came, I came across 
him through like his book and 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 the poetry and stuff so what so so when i started listening to his music i was a little taken aback because it's it's you know it's not the most uh palatable sometimes right because his, no, his, his voice is a little i i, yeah, I think but. i th- i think that uh, he's a poet with his music set to you know his poetry set to music mm. and sometimes it's put against the background of the cultures that he's lived in you know he is a world traveler and and although he will always be associated with Montreal, Montreal was just always his first place, you know. Um, yeah, there's a little flamenco and all the rest, but inc- incredibly romantic. Yeah. Just, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And his yeah. posthumous releases are amazing, too. So, Yeah, talented guy. Yep. Marcus. Oh, it's you, Chris? Oh, it's my oh, turn. Yeah, okay. oh, it's Chris. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Um, there's so many ways to go. Okay, so... You know, we were talking. We were talking earlier uh, yesterday in our in our little group chat, trying to set the ground rules for this thing. And we were wondering if, or I was wondering if samples qualify as a cover. Uh, I think there's, you know, there, there's there's it depends on how long the leash is as far as samples are concerned especially when you go to go with hip-hop because you know it, it really depends on how the sample is used in particular um and i i know i, I know i always include like a kanye song in every time we do this and, and it's definitely not it's definitely not super intentional um but i just think like i mean you know Kanye has just built his career on using really good samples, you know, like, like especially early on. Uh, and this one's just I, an interesting way. Um, I, this one's gold digger. I, I don't know if you've obviously heard gold digger, Kanye West. Um, yeah. it's, it's featuring, um, J- Jamie Foxx, which is essentially, um, like what, what I really like, what I really find interesting about this is not only is the, the Ray Charles sample, um, I use in quotation marks because it's not, really a sample but but the the ray the ray charles the part portion of the song is central to the song so yeah. it's a repeating chorus which i think is the big thing but what i interest what interests me about this is it's not using the actual ray charles recording it's actually a re-recording for somebody doing like because the lyrics have been changed um slightly to to fit the theme of kanye west song but like the melody's the same and it's to me it's just you know it, it's it, there's, there's, I'm sure there's other examples of, of uh, better examples of sampling um, and covers uh, in hip hop, but I just like the the alternative approach of this one. Like, I mean, obviously it's a great song and it, and it was huge and for for its time, I, it had to have. I don't know the stats, but I mean, I, I just remember it being on all the time. Um, but it's just an interesting take. I, I like the idea of re-recording the sample with a popular artist of the time. I mean, at that time, uh, Jamie Foxx was was playing Ray in a movie, so it, it was like this weird kind of cultural uh, timestamp. Um, and it's a gr- it's a great song, and, yeah. and it's I think as far as samples go, I mean, for Kanye West, like like there's Diamonds of Sierra Leone where he uses Diamonds Are Forever. He uses a lot of stuff like that, but but I, I think the the most interesting way is th- that he's used samples is Gold Digger with the when they recreate it, and um, yeah, like it, great pick, great. That, pick. Jamie, that, and Jamie Fox being in right? that is cool. I I think so because the spirit of the song has yeah. that has the Ray Charles like that's the point of the song essentially mm-hmm. yeah I'd say so except for you know what I mean 
when, oh, when hip hop started and they started using samples, um, they did it out of convenience because a lot of these guys, they, they weren't musicians. So the best thing to do is like, hey, we can grab a portion of this song and we can reloop it and repeat it and create a background for what we do. And I look at the reason I was so into this whole idea is because that's no different from an artist taking a riff from an, another artist and, and using it yet changing the song. Like mm. ZZ Top's LaGrange is an old blues riff. It's it's John Lee Hooker. And who knows, before John Lee Hooker, there was some other guy that was playing that. That's not exactly creative or inventive. But when ZZ Top do it and they talk about a little whorehouse down in Texas, it becomes a completely different song from boom, boom, boom or any of those, you know. In other words, they're using a sample, a portion of a song, and slightly changing it, but throwing it, they throw their own lyrics over top of it and completely change the context of it. Absolute yeah. samples are cool, man. Yeah. The example of, I have that on my list is uh, Puff Daddy and Faith Evans doing I'll Be Missing, right. you, which is the, you know I mean? Right. So they've changed the word, but that's, that's the song, and you know what it is right away. I think Puff, yeah. Puff Daddy and that whole... I mean, kind of late, late nineties, East coast, like he did a lot of sampling. Like that was what he yeah. built his career on basically was, was, was sampling. And, uh, well, it, it, yeah, there, there, there came a time in which digger. the industry kind of clapped back on this whole thing. And they said, no, you can't do this unless you ask for permission to do it, you know? Right. And, and I know the hip hop, hip hop, hip hop industry kind of went, oh man, you just took, you took away all the good stuff from us. Yeah. Yet. Uh, what it did is it forced them, now you have to be creative. Now yeah. you have to come up with your own stuff and look what happened. It didn't hurt them. You can still sample. You just got to go to the publisher and get clearance to use it. And a lot of artists still use samples, yeah. but not like yeah. the way they used to. You know, the, the, the whole monetization of all of this shit, I think is it, it kind of drives me crazy because me like mm. music and like like music obviously people need to make money and there, there's an economy around music and people need to get paid their due or whatever but like man like when you were getting those lawsuits of like ray charles's estate like like suing people for the rhythm of the of their songs and it's just it's just like like the the idea the idea that every song has to be like singular and unique and uninspired by anything that came before it is absolutely absurd. And yeah, I feel like yeah. this, this like litigation of copyright infringement for rhythms and beats is just destroying music. You know, I, it's, so, I it's such a damn you, shame. I agree with you a hundred percent. Never mind that it's the grandchildren that are suing. That's not the point. But you, it, sometimes it just gets a little much. The whole Marvin Gaye versus yeah, Marvin Pharrell Gaye, that's and, what it was. Uh, Pharrell and uh, what's his name who did Blurred Lines. Robin I Thicke. mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. I kind of shake my head. I said you're kind of ruining it. And the more recently, the whole Stairway to Heaven versus. Um, the guys in spirits yeah. and all that type of stuff. In the end, Led Zeppelin's lawyers were paid way more money than the other guys, so they won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, we can argue this one a whole lot. You know, what came first? And then, you know, 
who should we give credit to and who should be paid for it as well too. That's a whole different thing here. We're just yeah. dealing with cover versions, which were for sure were cleared in advance and were allowed and say, yeah, <laughs> go ahead and do it. You know, <laughs> I've got, uh, I've got a little bunch here uh, called better than the original. So I'll start it off with, uh, the Fuji's killing me softly, I think is a far better version than Roberta Flack's killing me softly. He says that emphatically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one may, this one may ruffle some feathers. I think, Nirvana covering Man Who Sold the World is far better than David Bowie's version. Nope. I think that <laughs> I think that John Mayer covering Free Falling is uh, better than Tom Petty's version. Oh. Uh, hmm. Amy Winehouse does a cover of Valerie. Um, my wife yes. played it for me yesterday and it's she excellent. played me the original as well. And yeah, it's one is considerably better. Uh, yeah. This one to, to say that anybody has covered a song better or done a song better than the Beatles. Uh, I think that Eddie Vedder's version of hide your love away is better than the Beatles version. Oh, no. And uh, I will wrap it up with uh, Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn from dumb and dumbers cover of mockingbird <laughs> in the car is far better than the original. Mockingbird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bird. The face he does when he says bird fucking gets me every time. And just because I, I want to make sure you guys have time to, to get through the, the, last, the last one that I actually have, and it is my favorite sample, cover tune, reimagination of a song, is Eminem essentially redoing Hush Little Baby in his song Mockingbird. Phenomenal. If you haven't heard it, cool. it's about his daughter, and it's basically it's a lullaby for it's, it's Eminem. Doing a lullaby, so you can imagine what that would sound like. That's, oh, that's bitch. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a really, really cool uh, just reimagination I mean, of a song that everybody knows. Everybody knows "Hush, Little Baby" and and the, and that rhythm. And he just he blows it out of the water. So so it's the uh, the song is uh, "Mockingbird" by Eminem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna check that really, one. Really, really, sure. really good song. Really good. How song. many how many times does he kill his mom with a chainsaw in that one? Uh, I d- <laughs> I don't know if he actually kills her if he just locks her in the trunk at one point. But <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll throw out a chunk here of uh, some of mine. Then uh, uh, Supernaut is a Black Sabbath song yeah. covered by an Al Jorgensen side project called Ten Thousand Homo DJs. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you've never heard the song, uh, <laughs> put put it on in the car, roll down the windows, and go for a fast drive. It just kicks ass. Uh, I really liked uh, better than the original for sure. I loved Fine Young Cannibals cover of Suspicious Minds from Elvis yes. Presley. It's yeah. a it's a great. Uh, it's got a little bit of gospel background singing. It's fantastic. That was the uh, that was the first cassette I ever owned in my entire life when I was about really? seven years old. My uh, my uncle bought me a cassette and it. Was fine young cannibals with like she drives me crazy that whole album right on <laughs> yeah fine young cannibals <laughs> right on uh higher ground red hot chili peppers cover yes. of stevie wonder's song definitely super, yeah. it is it is the single greatest last six seconds of a song ever <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a total beavis and butthead moment it's just um, I'm going to oh, throw in um, Blinded by the Light by Manford Man too, uh, a cover of uh, Bruce Springsteen and they, they just turned that song around and made it what it was that's I one of, know that that's, song was a Bruce Springsteen song 
It's a Bruce Spring, yeah, and it's one of those. Yeah, I always thought that was just Manfred Mann, and it was, you know, the Manfred Mann. But uh, it was, and it was by far and away their biggest hit. And few people knew uh, until I don't know when it happened, when it became common knowledge that, or almost common knowledge, Mark, respectfully, that it is in fact a Bruce Springsteen song. That yeah, "Blinded by the Light" is is a really great cover. I thought it just became common knowledge that a deuce was a type of car, and that it wasn't wrapped up like a douche. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a uh, there's a great comedy sketch you can find online where they've got these three guys on stage arguing about is it douche or is it douche <laughs> is it revved up like a douche or wrapped up like a douche what is it <laughs> yeah that's you know that's interesting you know, springsteen's version came out and no you know that was back in those first two records that he put out which nobody bought and right. yet all these artists discovered him and david bowie and he did a, a covers album called pinups right back in the Aladdin Sane days and it has a lot of these it had a lot of these uh, songs that he grew up with from you know from uh, from the UK and in there uh, here's here's him doing a cover of a Bruce Springsteen song which nobody had ever heard nobody had even known who Bruce Springsteen was and Bowie knew he figured it all out no shit yeah uh, does this bus stop at 52nd Street it's off the first Greetings album and it's it's okay it's not really a spectacular song, but like, wow, that's pretty obscure, you know? So that, that is cool. a definite, that's a resume builder. Like, uh, you know, what have you done in your musical? Well, David Bowie covered me. Like, <laughs> oh, do you know what I mean? Like that, that is a compliment. But, but if was, David you know, Bowie it's, it's is covering you, you've done something right. But you bring up the Manfred Mann thing and that kind of helps Springsteen's, you know, that was part of Springsteen's story is that here's this massive song. And, you know, if you, no, if you read if you read liner notes, you know not that you were the Manfred Mann record. Who's this? They really thought it was a Manfred Mann song, like you yeah. said. Yeah. And Springsteen's version is like three and a half minutes long, and Manfred Mann made a seven minute version of the song. Yep. So, cool. All right. right on. So, yeah, that's that's my can, latest crop. Yeah, I can do. I'll I'll run through some, and then we'll give Paul the last word on if you want to run through the last little bits of yours. I think. How about that? Oh sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just fire off a chunk of ones as well um, because I feel like that's the best way to go. One of the ones that I really really wanted to include, uh, Willie Nelson does a cover of "Always on My Mind," which yep. is originally mm-hmm. an Elvis track. I think the I think the Willie Nelson version is significantly better than the Elvis version. <laughs> yeah, it's which like is a cute a old manness to it. That's what yeah. I find. Like it just he sounds like a cute little old man singing it. Like you know yeah, what? You're always sure. on my mind too, Willie. <laughs> Grandpa Willie. Um, there's, uh, you, you know, uh, Proud Mary, uh, Tina Turner's cover. Oh, yeah. Mary, yeah. CCR yeah. cover. Yeah. You know, um, it, I don't know. I don't know how anybody can one up uh, CCR like that. That's hard to do, especially in the power department. But I mean, if, if anybody's able to do it, it would be Tina Turner. Um, I have uh, I, I don't know if this has come up yet but I Will Always Love You Whitney Houston's cover of Dolly of Dolly Parton that was a pretty big um, song yeah <laughs> that, one, to say, that one did I mean, pretty well in 94 or whatever the, whenever the bodyguard came out good I lord I, even, I think yeah. that remains the biggest uh, single by a female singer ever I think it still holds that it's gotta it's, it's awesome. gotta be up there yeah, yeah. Jesus that was a yeah. big one yeah she's uh, and I didn't even realize it was a cover in, until 
a couple days ago when I was researching this stuff. Um, Mad World uh, by Gary Jules, which is a Tears for Fears cover. We mm-hmm. were talking about a little bit about that off air. I heard it because um, uh, you know the movie Donnie Darko was featured in that, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" When I was younger, uh, and it blew my mind. And I was listening to I would listen to it uh, and brood as a teenager. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect brooding song. It is a good brooding uh, song. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, last one. Well, okay, so I got two more. Uh, uh, this one's I I I was struggling to to include this one just because uh, Mark already covered this album, um, but uh, I really liked uh, Nirvana's version of "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." Um, oh yeah, which is the the closing on that on the same album that has uh, "Man Who Sold the World." Yeah, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs personal connection to that one is like the first time i used to play uh guitar at like for like do like covers and stuff at bars and sing and stuff and uh when i the 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 first day that i I got drunk enough to to try the open mic i played that song so i have like i'll always have a personal (laughs) connection with that song um and uh the last one is just uh, Nicole Reed actually said this on our on our Facebook page, but uh, Bonnie Verde is a cover of "I Can't Make You Love Me," which is a Bonnie Raitt song, and mm. his version, in my opinion, is significantly better than that, but uh, wow. than the original. But yeah, that's that's all I got. I have to throw just two more in real quick, and then Polly, it's over <laughs> sure. to you. Just because I, I want to take credit for for please the greatest musical accomplishment of all time. Is is satisfaction by Devo? Mm-hmm. It yes. absolutely. <laughs> the the bass line, the, the guitar, and just the way it's 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 over the top. It's goofy, but it's almost it borders on novelty. But it's so good. Well, it's not novelty. I mean, Devo. Oh, I mean, uh, they're genius. That band. Yeah. Uh, Devo meant de-evolution. It was about the de-evolution of music. They were way ahead of their times. Whether it was done comically or intentionally. They were onto something. The music was devolving into these, it was losing its soul. And so what did they do is they recorded a version of Satisfaction, which was so different from the original, it was disturbing. And a lot of people hated it. But I, I just cued right into it. And said, <laughs> Me too. Especially as, especially as it builds momentum. Uh, I'm not sure if you watch uh, Saturday Night Live. And on Saturday nights, they have at 10 o'clock, they have an old show that comes up. Yeah. And they had a version. They had a, an episode which had Devo playing Satisfaction on it. And it was like to see them play it live. I saw them live at Massey Hall. And they are unbelievable. But when they get into... Uh, when they get into satisfaction and it's just like, wow, it's just on fire. It's yeah. like when the Stones do it now and these, as they get older, it's like it loses all meaning. It's just like, uh, and I get it, you know what I mean? It's all muscle memory for them and it doesn't have the same kind of meaning to it that it did then. But what Devo were doing, it was like, wow, they just totally reinvigorated the whole thing. Big time. Which brings me to my list here. All right. <laughs> um Better than the better than the original, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi yep. Hendrix, uh, another Bob Dylan cover. Bob Dylan says uh, Jimmy found spaces and things in the song that I never did with my original, 
And so much so that when he performs his version of the song now in concert, he does the Jimi Hendrix version of the song. That's I think that's the ultimate compliment right there. Not only not only is he, you know what I mean? He covers your song. He covers it like you. (laughs) He he wrote it. He likes likes Jimmy's version better than (laughs) his own. That's amazing. I I went back and listened. I like the Dylan original. I really do. I I like them both. But, you know, uh, you know, in the last minutes of the apocalypse, when the world is collapsing and the seven horsemen are riding, there will be Jimi Hendrix on the mountaintop playing all along <laughs> the watchtower. It is amazing. Yeah. Uh, my next one is Twist and Shout by the Beatles. And I know one of you guys also had it on your list. Yeah. And listen, you know, the Beatles and the Stones and a lot of English artists, you know, were filling out their albums and they did a lot of covers. I mean, every band starts by doing covers, right? You get yeah. together in a room with a bunch of a bunch of friends and so where do you start? Well, let's play stuff we know. That's <laughs> yeah. where this this is kind of where this whole thing takes place. And with the Beatles, there was this pressure. Yeah, we got to record some stuff. So let's play some, no, not only some originals, but let's play our own music. So Twist and Show came out in their first album. And it was recorded in a 13-hour marathon session. And uh, that day, John had a cold. He was drinking milk and doing cough drops, apparently. And George Martin, the producer, knew that this song is going to shred his voice. So we'll save it till the end. Yeah. So remind they are work, they are working for 13 hours nonstop recording all those amazing songs, right? And they decided to leave it to the end. There is 15 minutes left in the recording session, and they do twist and shout. And because John Lennon's vocal is shredded and his voice is hoarse and all the rest, it only adds to it. The song was originally done by the Isley Brothers, and it's a that's a really good song. But he brings the joy out, and, and when you hear his voice in it, he, he nails it. He nails it. It's as as fun to listen to today as it probably was back in 1963 when they did it. And my last one here is uh, better than the original. That's a debate on this one. It's Johnny Cash doing Hurt. Mm. Okay, the Nine Inch Nails song. Um, Johnny Cash was going through a real episode in the end of his, in his was like he had dropped by his record company, by Columbia Records. They found there's no need for this old guy. And, and the Cash family said, like, you know, this is Johnny Cash. Look what he's done for you through all the decades. Look at the, look at the scope of his music. You're dropping him? Like how, and for Cash, he took it really, really hard. He got signed to another label and never went anywhere. And then Rick Rubin came along. You know, Rick Rubin, the guy who created Slayer and Beastie Boys and... Um, LL Cool J and uh, Run DMC, you know, one of the godfathers of hip hop and thrash rock, picks up on Johnny Cash. Now, Rick Rubin had always worked with young artists, artists that are just starting their careers, but he picked up on Cash because he wanted to work with a legend. Here's this guy with an incredible history in country music and pop music and rock music and all the rest. And he says, you know, how can we connect? So what he tried to do is he tried to find some songs that would fit the myth of the man in black. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny never shot a man ever. He went to jail, but he never shot a man. But the man in black did. So he's trying to find songs that kind of fit that mold. And so he was, he was giving him songs to check out that were done by a lot of contemporary artists. And over the years, he did stuff by Soundgarden, Tom Petty, and the Heartbreakers. And he presented the uh, the song by Nine Inch Nails, Hurt, B. 
because there's something about that song. And Cash says, I don't know. But he recorded the song anyways. And it came out. Trent Reznor was sent a copy of the record. And he says, I don't like it, man. But when the video came out, it hit a home run. Yeah, it was the video that blew that song up. It was the video that blew it. But when you hear the song, it's it does stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, Cash found a... Cash found the essence of the song. Not that Trent Reznor never did, but it just became something different. It was a song of anguish. And, you know, when he sings those lines, I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. I mean, that's his life is right in that verse right there. Yeah, yeah. And even though Trent Reznor wrote it, he was talking about Trent Reznor's version was about despair. And for Johnny, it was something more personal to the whole thing. And then shortly after this thing whole came out, you know, uh, Johnny's wife, June, dies. And four months later, Cash dies as He's well, gone, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, when she died, as she was dying, you know, she said to Johnny, you know, keep working. You do what you do. So Johnny recorded 60 songs in the four months between her death and his death. Wow. If you really want to get into some great Johnny Cash, I know all those classic songs, Ring of Fire and Boy Named Sue and all that type of stuff. But the stuff that he did with Rick Rubin, there are six albums. They will shake you to the core. They are unbelievable. So <laughs> I have more covers, but my uh, my my software is shut down here. So <laughs> <laughs> Ice Cubes are not working. <laughs> I talk too much, you know. Honorable but, uh, mention goes to Woodstock, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, covering Joni Mitchell too. Oh, I had to throw that one in. Yeah, the, the concert that she never went to. By the way, now that you brought that up, um, documentary on Laurel Canyon. I'm not sure you know what Laurel Canyon is. That's in the Hollywood Hills, and the street that runs right through the middle uh, from sunset boulevard over to the valley side of the hollywood hills is called laurel canyon boulevard and there's all these little streets that run off of it and it was an enclave for artists back in the 1960s to hang out and write and record and collaborate people just walk from one house to the other and in amongst that whole thing was Joni mitchell and the guys from crosby stills and ash and young frank zappa lived there janice joplin joplin yeah they all it was like the biggest hangout and they kind of lived in a bit of a bubble anyways the point is that the documentary is on crave tv if you've got that it's about two and a half hours long and if you just kind of want to go back to the 60s a little bit and understand its essence in that period of time yeah it's pretty great what's it what's it called Polly? because i will check that out a laurel canyon just it's simply Ooh. called laurel yeah okay and yeah it's a, it's a good one i have to admit i only watched episode one but i the, some of the stuff with Joni mitchell in it is fascinating it's just and just it really they do a great job of taking you back to that era so right mark on. I, mark i'm surprised you didn't throw any any weird al into the mix no well that's all the guy does <laughs> <laughs> Rushmore of Weird Al songs. <laughs> There's no Weird Al, and I can't believe like there were there no covers in Back to the Future. I uh, <laughs> Huey Lewis. I, I should have actually looked to see if he does, does any covers. He must do covers, or there must be a cover of Power of Love, <laughs> <laughs> or Back Good in Lord. Time. <laughs> but thank you for mentioning it. We went the entire show, and I didn't mention it, but you guys threw him in at the end. So again, for sure, Huey, Huey gets some love. Doesn't he do a thing of uh, eruption by Van Halen in that movie? 
Oh, I don't know. Isn't there a point which he plugs in? He's got his whole rig set up, and he plugs in, and he uh, starts playing Eruption. Then he, uh, this is Michael J. Fox's character, and all of a sudden, you know, he's in his garage. This is at the right at the beginning of the first movie, I think. Mm, maybe. I I'll have to go back to the future and he check plugs that in, out. He plugs in a big, a big speaker at the beginning of the first. Yeah, it's, you got to go. You got to go back in time. Go check that one out. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, my honorable mention goes to uh, to Run DMC for Walk This Way, only because of what it did for uh, hip hop as well. It kind of bring it, it, bring it into the mainstream. Hip-hop. It also huge. revived Aerosmith's career too. So that's true. Uh, <laughs> kind of two pronged ap- approach. And all the story about that song is the fact that they didn't want to do it. That was it was Rick Rubin's idea to do that song, and they didn't want to do it. They looked at this song and said, "But this sounds like this." They called it Hick Rock. Yeah, nice. You know, it was it was the furthest thing from 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 Brooklyn that you could be. Is like, what is this? I won't use the racist slang that they use, but they said. can't do this and it, i don't want to say it was forced upon them but they were kind of made to do it mm. and i think rick rubin kind of knew is that this might be the gateway yeah. for the rest of your music and it was exactly that yeah. uh good or bad depending you know how you look at it but the, because they made it their song i totally agree with you uh it, it deserves to be on this list better than the original i think they're two different songs yeah mm-hmm. absolutely boys i gotta check out i gotta go to work Sounds good, guys. Thank good you. Enjoy your day off, sir. Yeah, I'm off. Yes. Next, I'm off next week, boys. And once yeah, again, yeah. Alleluia by Gord Downey on YouTube. I've just written it down. Actually, I, I'm like, okay, uh, Paul's to do list: Laurel Canyon and Alleluia Gord Downey. So I, I got them both. <laughs> see you, gang. Uh, guys, have a good All one. Right. See you guys. See you guys. Thanks for listening to Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVie, Mark Lefave, and Chris Brown. Join the conversation at BSR Podcast on Facebook and at Radio underscore Sheep on Instagram and Twitter.